love it. The faithful right here on July 5th. Everybody survived last night? I mean, if you're, in, you're like, yeah, I don't know. You must not have been in Jack's Beach. I mean, it's so funny. You don't have fireworks down here, so everybody said, you know what? We're going to, and the police aren't, you know, I don't, they're not really policing mortar cannons right now. I mean, that's just not their thing that they're getting after. Um, in my street, I'm telling you, it was like a war zone. I mean, you could get down, I could look down 7th Avenue North, and it was just like, I mean, the Star Spangled Banner. You should have been playing the entire time. It was, a, a was just standing outside going, this is awesome. You know, kids love some fireworks. Uh, if you got your Bible, turn with me to um, Philippians chapter 2. We'll also be in Ephesians 1 and 2 this morning. We've been talking about Reverb. We started a series last week. And I don't know if you're as excited as I am about this series. I, I really am. I told Beth, what's an interesting kind of byproduct of uh, COVID-19, coronavirus, and all that. It's like for any pastor that, you know, you were really taken by the, the numbers of up and down. Like it feels good in here now. It's full, you know. It's like, you know, you, you, you preach better with more people in the room or it's, you're kind of down. You, there's, you have no choice. I mean, for many, many weeks, it was just camera, me and black camera preaching. So you really, you, got, you, you have to look and there, there's nowhere you're going to draw your energy from but from the Spirit of God in general. And I think it's been a really amazing thing. I don't know if any other pastors have experienced that, but I feel like God's been so faithful. And it doesn't matter, like there's, I don't know what our, what our numbers were reg- registered for this service, but there's not a ton in here. But you guys can make some noise, right? That you're in here? Masked up, making noise. Um, and we'll have another service. We'll socially distance. And, but I just, God's been so good in this season. And I've been so really just excited about this idea of reverb and what it means. If you weren't with us last week, you're like, what is reverb? This is some weird, ambiguous thing they're doing. You know, creative preacher talk. But really the idea is, you know, just like we said last week, a good definition would be that an event that took place long ago in history still reverberates today. I mean, that's, we, we get that. We understand. Something has been repeated. It just didn't just stay there, but it's been talked about. It's been brought just like the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cross has been reverberating in history all the way into Jacksonville Beach, into our lives that have been changed by Jesus. Just on the voices, on the songs, on the praises of his people as the word has moved through generation and generation. We understand what reverb is. And it's a more holistic idea, like I said last week, of evangelism. Rather than just thinking about evangelism being this thing like, how do I talk to somebody about Jesus? What questions do I ask? What do I do when it gets awkward? It's a inter-2020. It's, you know, you say you're a Jesus follower. All of a sudden, you're attached to all this stuff in politics. You're attached to all these things. Not supposed to talk about politics and religion. And we want to stay away from that whole idea. Sweaty palms, evangelism, right? But the idea of reverb is more holistic. And what does it mean to experience the gospel of Jesus? To go from death to life spiritually. What, is our lives, what do our lives look like holistically that reverberate out to the world? What does it look like to be a city on the hill that shouldn't be hidden? That everyone would see who we are in Christ. And that they would give praise and glory to our Father in heaven. I mean, that's a more, that's a more holistic idea. We used the example last week. Mr. Aaron Walsh, who was leading worship wonderfully this morning, um, got on his pedal board and showed us this, you know, the, the idea that you know, the artist plays the initial note, the artist plays the melody, but the reverb pedal repeats it, extends it. And it actually, in many ways, it, it creates this attractiveness. Not only does it repeat it, expand it, and push it outwards, it makes it better, and it sounds amazing when you have reverb. And I read that article from The Atlantic that said there's something about reverb that lets us know that there's something 
bigger than ourselves. And as we dig into the next repeat of our Reverb series, we're, we're, I, w- I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of something bigger than ourselves, he being Jesus. But I remember years ago, uh, it was actually not that long ago, it was probably 2015, 2016, when we first moved into this building, we started doing students, and I remember a kid was coming that had never been to church before. Um, I, I knew him because my, my son went to school with him, and shy kid, you know, not the most, you know, you know, forward kid. He's just kind of to himself. And I remember telling all of our students, we, you know, we tell our student ministry and our students, the student leaders, like, hey, we exist in student ministry to invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace. The same one we've been called into that comes through Jesus. So we want to do that practically in every way. So it starts at the front door. I mean, you remember walking across the threshold at school if you're going to a new school or just the beginning of the school, you're a little bit of tense and butterflies. It's because there's some insecurity that comes with that. And so we're like, hey, how can we create an environment where that doesn't happen? So we, I don't remember, even remember what we did completely and totally. They all knew what this kid's name was, knew when he was coming. And we don't do this with every kid that walks in the door. It just kind of happened with him. And everybody chants his name when he walks in the door. And he's just looking around, a little bit nervous, but like, what is going on? And how does everybody know my name? Like, I mean, it was just very, and, and everything that he did, and everybody introduced themselves to him, just kind of loved him in a, a, a pretty powerful way. Students, if you can imagine, who are insecure about themselves, trying to worry about their own game, lifting up this one kid, and every game that he played, everything that he competed in, everybody was just chanting his name. And I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, I just was blown away. And I remember, and that happened week after week. Like, all of a sudden, he just became a superstar in our student ministry. Like, everybody knew his name. Everybody cheered for him. He did win a lot of stuff when he got here. I think he got, he got this swagger. Like all of a sudden he's like, people know me here. I mean, he just, he did. And Gerald's laughing because he knows exactly who I'm talking about. I'll just call him Bobby. I'm not going to use his name. But I, I talked to Bobby and said, hey, man, how's it feel to be a superstar? And uh, he looks at me. He says, man, I am. He goes, I can tell you what, I am not a superstar at school. Like I don't know what happened here or why everybody likes me or what. I, I don't even know what it is. But it feels good. It feels great. And, and I say that because today I want to talk about this idea of insecurity. Because most of us, like Bobby, walk into most environments where we're insecure. Where we don't feel chosen. Where we don't feel picked. Where we don't feel loved. It's one of those things that if you're wondering how the church can cease to reverberate is, is, is if we are insecure. An insecure church would be detrimental to the world. It would be detrimental to the world. We want to be a confident church. We want, to, we, want, we want to walk without fear. But the reality is, is everybody in the room, everybody that's watching this on the stream, can relate to insecurity. We all know and understand that feeling. There, there's something inside of us that is built in. I, God wired it in. It's not something that's wrong with us. The strategy in which to, to fix what's wrong is what's wrong with us. But every single one of us wants to be chosen. Everyone that we can see in the room doesn't want to be rejected. Everyone wants to belong. Everybody wants to be a part of something. Everybody knows that they're supposed to be attached to something. And along the way, there's a lot of things because sin exists on planet Earth that happens to many of us. And it keeps us reverberate, from, from reverberating or being reverb in the world, extending the gospel to the people around us. But along the way in your life, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was somebody that you were in school with, looked at you like you were an idiot, someone disregarded you along the way, someone used you, someone disrespected you, 
Someone didn't listen to your ideas. Someone didn't think you were pretty enough or cute enough. Someone didn't think you were funny enough. Someone didn't pick you for a team or a group. Why? Because you weren't good enough, because of what you did or who you are, because of who your family is, how much money you have, what car you drive, how good you did in school, how well you play sports. Somebody didn't choose you. Someone along the way possibly stopped loving you. Somebody that said at one time that they loved you and they just stopped. Or someone, this is, this is the death nail in romantic love, someone picked somebody else over you. Insecurity. I think everybody can relate to this idea of insecurity in the way that we respond to that. And here's the problem that exists inside and outside the church. How do we compensate for that? Because we have to compensate for the lack of belonging or the lack of feeling. When, when, when that happens along the way, and it happens to all of us in some manner or fashion, I don't care how famous you are. I don't care how successful you've been. I don't care what you've done. Ask Solomon. He said, hey, I've, I've got it all. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the smartest. I've got more money. I've thrown bigger parties. I've had more ladies. I've built more stuff. I've done more than anyone on planet Earth. And I can tell you it's meaningless. It hasn't filled the eternity that exists, the nagging existential itch in my heart for something bigger and something greater than myself. He knew that there was a problem. So all of us have experienced that. But what do we do to compensate for that? Well, we do what Solomon does. We One, we... we, we we can burden other people with it. Well, I need to depend on other people to make me feel better about myself. Somebody that needs constant reassurance. We become a slave to somebody else to make sure that they, hey, are we okay? That last conversation that we had, I felt like you didn't really like me and I don't know what happened, but can we, get, can we talk again? Can we talk tonight? Can we talk tomorrow? We need reassurance. And what does that do? That's the opposite of reverb. That's when people are like, insecure, and people don't want to be around you. Or we just use success the things that we do to, to make us feel better about ourselves. Maybe I'll accomplish. This is what I was put on planet Earth to do. I will accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. And there's nothing wrong with success in and of itself. But when it is the thing that we're trying to put a banner on ourselves that we're good enough, if that's the thing that makes you good enough, if that's the thing that gives you your worth and your value, it is fragile at best because you are going to fail a lot in this life. Or the comparison game. This is the big one. Where do I fit with everyone else? Where do I sit in the world with everyone else? I mean, that is, the, that, that is the one. Sometimes, do you ever find yourself hanging with a group of people because you fit? Like, I, like I don't feel good because down here, I'm, I'm here. You know, with all these, they're all good at stuff. I'm, I'm in a room full of doctors, and I'm certainly not a doctor. I don't feel good there. I'm going to go with the, the, you know, these people. Restaurant workers. I feel good amongst the restaurant workers because at least I'm in college and they're not. And then I'm a little bit above them. It's how we fill in for the insecurity, the comparison game. What do I look like when it comes to the world I live in with other people? I mean, it's what all of us do. Keeping up with the Joneses. What kind of house do I have? What kind of car do I drive? One-upmanship. We know when we're around somebody or that, that itch to say something. When you, we hear somebody kind of bragging about a vacation or something they've done. And you're like, yeah, I've been there too. We went there and stayed there two weeks, not one. I mean, we, we do that kind of thing. And we know, we, we feel that when that's somebody's, when that's, some people do that habitually and they don't even know that they're doing it. I mean, Saturday Night Live has made entire sketches that are amazing about one-upmanship, you know. Oh yeah, I've done that, that's good. Yep, that's great. I've been there too. I know him better, you know. I know you, but yeah, we're best friends. We know what that's like. Or elitism, what group are you in? What are you connected to? What country club are you a part of? What school did your kids get into? You know, what legacy have you built and then you, are you attached to with other people? 
What city group are you in? Just kidding. You know, that, that, that idea, all of us compensate. And it's the opposite of reverberating because all of that has to do with you. Where am I? Everything is focused here. And our, our heads and our eyes can never be risen up to where the glory and the honor should be, which is on Jesus and out towards the people that God wants us to serve and to lead to him. So what's the, you know, what's the solution to walking with confidence and not being sidetracked by insecurity? I mean, what, how do we solve this problem? What's amazing about the gospel? I think sometimes we think of the gospel simplistically and think, okay, it's pulling a ticket, I, I, I said a prayer, I get to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. Hey, that's a pretty good benefit. That's amazing. But the gospel is so much bigger than that. It is for you, right? Going from death to life spiritually has implications for you this minute in the way that it will change you. You experience God's love, mercy, and grace. It changes you in so many different ways. And when it comes to insecurity, it is a bomb of grace in your life if we allow it to change us by the power of the Spirit. And it does it in a way that is the opposite of what you would think. How do we get confidence as Christians? Where does confidence come from? Where does a Christian swagger come from? And what does it look like in difference to, to the world? I hate to even call it swagger. Because the place that it comes from is humility. It's driven by the gospel, but it works its way out and humility, because it detaches us from all of the things that we think we have to have to make us feel like we're good enough. The Apostle Paul says it this way, and if you're wondering what the repeat is and what the thing that we reverberate to the world that will absolutely be more attractive and be repeated over and over again inside the church when God comes and moves in our lives, it is humility. It is humility. It is humility. It will bring confidence in your life. And the Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He puts a, a therefore in here, and we're going to come back to that. But the reason he's saying therefore is the, the same reason that he does it in, in Ephesians, the same reason he does it in um, Thessalonians, the same reason he does it in Colossians. He's said something pretty powerful before. He's dropped the, the bomb of the gospel the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is what's happened to you. You've gone from death to life. This is the citizenship that you now have. This is the security you have in an insecure world. And he says, therefore, because of that, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, saying something's happened to you where the comparison game can be over for you. If there's any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in the spirit, this is what we do collectively. If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. Being like-minded with who? With Christ. Having the same love, being in one spirit, sound familiar to last week? One mind, well, listen to this, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Saying because of what, what Jesus has done, all of a sudden we don't need to achieve don't need to compare. We don't need to do things in order to make myself look better. In fact, we are free from that because of the gospel. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Because what is selfish ambition? It's to climb and get higher, to put myself above, to make sure I'm positioned in a place where I feel superior, saying you don't need to do that. In Ephesians, he would say, you don't need to do that because now you're seated at the right hand of God alongside Jesus Christ with all of his inheritance as an adopted son or daughter. 
He says, rather, listen to his response. This is, this is how we respond. This is what reverberates. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Wouldn't that be miraculous if that's what our lives look like? Well, it's possible in and through the gospel. That we would put others' interests, that we would lift others up, that we would push others to the forefront. In humility, value others above yourselves. It's interesting, I did some, some research on the power of humility and how it reverberates. And I, this, the whole article I read in Psychology Today was amazing. But I want to read you, I'll probably read a couple of uh, different quotes here. But he, he, he says, the, the, the definition of humility, says Carl Albrecht, it's a PhD in psychology, brilliant. He said, one definition of humility is a psychosocial orientation characterized by one, a sense of emotional autonomy and freedom from the control of the competitive reflex. He said humility is this miraculous thing where all of a sudden the competitive reflex that's wired into human beings to position ourselves above other people. He says in, it was somebody that's humble has been released from this somehow. He offers no solution, but he says that's what you feel and experience from somebody that's done this. Freedom from the competitive reflex. He says the competitive reflex inside of us is the preconscious visceral response to oppose and outdo other people or auto-react against perceived threats to one's established sense of self. He said, humility is a freedom from that. Humility is actually confidence. Humility is like, I don't need, I no longer need, I'm all of a sudden detached from the, the bondage of needing to be approved of by others. So all of a sudden, I don't have to do one-upmanship. All of a sudden, I don't have to compare myself to other people. All of a sudden, I don't have to look around and see whether or not I fit in. He doesn't explain how you get there, but he says that's what you feel and you experience when you run into somebody that has a sense of humility in their lives. Listen to this. We talk about reverb. This is what he says near the end of the article. He says, a well, this one's on the screen, a well-developed sense of humility shines through in your behavior toward others. They feel affirmed, appreciated, encouraged, validated, psychically nourished. Most of us are powerfully drawn to people who treat us that way, like bees to flowers. Reverberation. It's the one, I think it's one of the struggles. When I, when I was diving into this talk this week, I thought this is one that needs to be done every month. Because we have to be reminded of what God's done for us. That we've been released from the tyranny of comparison because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done in and through us. And what, what, what's possible in that is that we're able to honor other people. I mean, if we, if we, when you're not, when, when humility is not on you, when gospel humility is not set itself inside of us, it makes it impossible for us to honor other people. Have you ever struggled to honor someone? Like they really deserve credit. But inside you're thinking, they've never honored me. They've never said anything nice about me. I've accomplished something amazing in this company too, but nobody's ever lifted me up. Why would I ever honor them? But he's saying, you're detached from that. So despite whether they've honored you or not, they've done something worthwhile and worthy to say, hey, I just want to say this person right here, they did all of this and they were amazing at it. They were creative. 
They, they, they made the project happen. Some of us stand around. And what's interesting, I, I, I've been around in a, in a situation where somebody's honoring someone else and I can feel the discomfort of somebody else because they're frustrated. They're like, and I know what they're thinking because I know a little bit about the circumstance. And, and they're thinking, why are they honoring that dirtbag? Why are they lifting up that person? They've not done near as much as I have. And you can feel the discomfort. And even sometimes there's a comment or two that come in there. Well, I don't know. Anybody could do that, you know. I don't know. I ran that fast in high school. I mean, I don't know what people say, but it's like the discomfort that you feel. But you feel the bondage from the other person, but you feel the freedom from the person that's honoring the other person. If we have an honoring culture, it will, ch- it will change our community. If we honor one another, if we lift one another up, if we have the ability to do that, because we're not worried about what's happened to us, because something extraordinary has happened to you and me. I heard, that, I heard Louis Giglio talk about, he says, sometimes something happens in your life where you get the opportunity to step into a situation where something extraordinary happens, and then all of the energy comes in your direction, and, you're, and you, you have to deal with that. And he talked about doing, anybody seen Indescribable, like the talk that he carried around the country, all the planets and stars? I mean, now people make fun of him. I mean, poor Louis Giglio has been going through it lately anyway. But, you know, if anybody's seen it, hands up. I got to know if Indescribable, yeah, a lot of people have seen it. If you haven't seen it, it's incredible. Like he gives you this view and picture of God, opens up your mind to how big God is. And that is a good gospel thing. But he does it through statistics. He does it through the size of planets, stars, the distant galaxies, through nebula and all this crazy stuff. And it's pretty amazing, the stuff that he shows you. And it's hard to walk away from that and not believe in God. He says, and what's interesting, he says, you get in these awkward conversations every once in a while and it feels very weird when people try to lift you up. He says, but I always have to remember that it was a, he goes, I always want to say when we did indescribable. He says, because Matt Redman is the one that got me into astronomy. He says, it wasn't me. He gave me this book. I knew nothing really about it. I like space. I like looking at stars, but I didn't know a ton about it. But years ago, he gave me this book and we used to geek out on astronomy together. He said, my assistant, Eddie, is the one that came up with all the statistics he, he did everything. He said, the, the, the pastor that let me do it the first time, the humility in letting me present it and use his church to present the, the two talks of indescribable at his church, it, it was him that did that. He said, and guess what? God made all the stuff and all the pictures that he shows in the talk. Every star, every planet, every picture of the sun, every picture of the earth, every picture of a nebula, God made it all. He said it's a perspective that we all have to hold on to and remember any time that we've done something, we think we're something and we think there's a time for us to be lifted up on our own to be honored. Like I did that, but guess what? No, God, everything that you've done, initially you have to remember God gave you the breath in your lungs. He gave you the talent that you have. He gave you everything. Not only did God give you all the things that you have to do something great, there's usually a lot of other people involved in somebody else's greatness. Ask any athlete if they get down to the core of it. The string of people and opportunity that had to be paved and created that had nothing to do with them. But when we realize that, when we come in contact with the God of the universe... We realize humility should be the response. So how, how do we, where does that come from? Where, where, where does humility come from? How does that happen? How does the gospel produce that? Well, one, it's the word of God. 
We have to, and my wife's been saying this this morning, we talked about it, we have to saturate our lives with something other than what we see on TV, on Netflix, on the news. We have to hear the truth of the Word of God because in the truth of the Word of God, guess what? It will right-size you into knowing who you are in comparison to God. But it will also let you know how much God loves you. I love when I read Psalm 8 because it, it's this right-sizing of you made the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that I see, you made them. I stand in awe, the majestic wonder. There's something that feels good about standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon or looking outside when you're on farm and you're in farm country and there's no lights and you look up in the sky. All of a sudden, you feel small, but it's a good small. It, it changes you. All of a sudden, the majestic nature of what you see, all of a sudden you realize I'm not alone, but everything doesn't land on me. Life is not about me. There is a good thing about experiencing God that way. It's what, we, it's what we read in Isaiah 6 when he's taken up just in a vision to the throne room and he sees the winged creatures when he experiences the train of the heavenly father's robe and he's, he's, he's like, I'm done. I am finished. I know that I'm unholy and he is holy. And he thinks he's, it's over. And then all of a sudden grace and mercy come and he's, his lips are seared, seared with a coal and he realizes I've been forgiven and he's told he's been forgiven. And then God asks, who will go? And he's like, I will go. I will go because what? I've seen the sun. I've seen the moon. I've seen the stars. I've seen the majestic wonders of the sky. But you care for me. You love me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You, everything about me you know. You know my name. And you are the creator of the universe. If that doesn't give you confidence. And if that doesn't give you humility. I don't know what does. And you look at Philippians chapter 4. And we see, he says, therefore, remember? He's, he's putting on displaces. The only way that you're going to think about this is you've got to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying in the previous section of the epistles. We have to know what it means. And I've said this so many times in here. What, what's beautiful about when we look at Ephesians chapter 1, if you've got your Bible, this is, this is so powerful. One is that we all want to be chosen, like one of the problems that we have is what I said is we want to be chosen. How do, how do we allow, how do we become humble is to know and understand that we have already been picked. I've done an illustration in here before. Actually, I've not done the illustration in here. I've done it with students, but there's a game called Hug It Out, which we cannot do for several months because of social distancing. Um, but it's amazing. It, it's so simple, but it represents something super, super powerful. You just shout out a number. Like you get all the kids spread out in the room, you shout out a number, seven, and they have to find a group of seven. And you got to kick out number eight. Like if somebody kind of tries to get in your group and you've already got seven, it's like you can see them, they're like trying to kick the person. Like get out. It's, it's a worst form of rejection. It's sad to watch, but it's awesome. And you see it, see it happening. It's like you, 13, and they all clump in their cap. And you see somebody, 14 comes in there. And then slowly but surely, every, you see all the rejects over here and they have to stand over there. And they're really sad. And it's just a game. They're like, I've been rejected. I didn't get in the thing. And they're all going to be rejected eventually. But what you notice, one, is the, the power of rejection and how, how it feels and what it looks like. And then you see how desperately people want to be picked, how desperately they want to be a part of the group. What are they doing? They are scrambling. They're doing whatever they can to be chosen to be picked. It's a scramble fest. I mean, it's crazy. You hear noise. Everybody's shuffling around. Everybody's grabbing and holding on for dear life. And it's what we do on planet Earth. We scramble for the acceptance. We, we scramble for the approval. We do whatever we can to achieve and elicit things from people. 
so that we feel good about ourselves, so our value and worth meter will go up. But we all know that it's fragile at best, that it will fall apart. And that's why we're bound to it. That's why we're insecure about it. Because we know human beings can't hold that. They've never been, they've never been positioned to hold the approval of you and me, the worth of you and me. They can't hold that burden. Your kids can't hold that burden. Your wife can't hold that burden. Nobody can take that on. And some of you in the room have felt it when you've lived with somebody that's insecure, been around somebody that's insecure. You felt like you've carried that weight and it's like something's on your shoulders. I need to reassure them all the time. I need to tell them who they are. I have to tell them they're pretty all the time. They're cute. Or I like them. I'm glad you're my friend. We know what that feels like. It's the scramble. But what's beautiful in Ephesians chapter 1, gospel, For he chose us in him before the foundation or the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption, the sonship, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I love that the word pleasure is in there. He He didn't begrudgingly pick you. He didn't go, I don't know, not quite cute enough, but I'm Jesus, I gotta pick you. No, he did it because he wanted to. It was in his joy He loved you and extended grace and mercy to you. He picked you. Not only did he pick you to be a part of this unbelievable community called the church, which were knit together by the Spirit of God in which Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. It's sons and daughters. You're an inheritor. He wants to look at you and see you as his child. That's ultimate approval. And it's not like Larry or Ted, you're the guy that you want to like you. This is the creator of the universe, the one that set the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that we've seen into existence. He's placed these things and he loves you. He's pursued you and he chose you. And all of a sudden, by the power of the spirit, if, if the word of God releases in us, we realize we're the bondage of being attached to somebody else, being attached to some achievement. It's broken just in the simple nature of the gospel by the power of his spirit. That is unbelievable. How the the good news, isn't it way better than we thought it was? Not only that, but we also, but not we were chosen, we also belong. Belonging's a big deal. The whole group thing. Like I'm this is the group that I belong to. I mean, we, do, we position ourselves when it comes to belonging. I mean, in our country, just to belong to the group of people called the beautiful people, we spend a lot of money just to belong to that group. I mean, I think $16.5 billion in the United States just on plastic surgery, just to be part of the beautiful people. $93 billion just on hair and makeup. Nine, let me repeat that. $93 billion on hair and makeup. 800, almost a trillion dollars, 850 billion dollars on designer clothes. Just, to, just to, to look the right way. I mean, I think about my kids going to Fletcher High School and, and the gear that you got to buy. And this is beach. I mean, this, we're lucky. Vans aren't that expensive. You know what I mean? There's other places where you got to go, go and it's got to be, you're dressed up even more. You got more designer thing going on. But 850 billion dollars. And clothes, it's funny, clothes is such a good example because it does, have you ever texted somebody like, well, you, know, what, you know, what are you wearing? I don't know what to wear. What are they wearing to the thing? Because I don't want to walk in and look like a doofus. I don't want to, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? And there's like a texting stream. Guys even do it. Like, are you wearing shoes? I mean, that's, that's guy's level of getting dressed, right? But uh, the other night, 25th wedding anniversary. I love you. We've been married 25 years. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, 
But where do you go? I mean, everybody's got masks on. You're trying to find a place to go eat. And we're like, hey, where can we go? It's not too weird. And we're walking down uh, in Neptune Beach. And I, I see Doro on the left as we're walking, you know, in that area. And I'm like, oh, I've, I've not been to Doro. We should go to Doro. It's, I know it's a little expensive, but, you know, it'd be great. Um, and then I look down at myself and I look through the window and I'm like, we're not Doro people. Like immediately, I know we don't fit in. And then we walk around the corner to North Beach Fish Camp. I'm like, we are fish camp people. And we fit there barely. We barely fit in fish camp. I would look down. She's like, you should have worn something different. But we do that in life. I remember my first job, I, I, I started uh, flying a lot. And, you know, you, there's, a, there's a, Dan knows this, there's like an airport game, isn't there? Like the briefcase, the, the, all the stuff. I didn't know any of the airport. I still had the same dockers I had in college because I never wore them, but I had to wear them for weddings and funerals and things. Had these crap shoes that I wore. Um, and I'm sitting in the airport with some jean shirt with this tie I've worn to every wedding since I was born. And i am got a bag that barely fits my broken laptop. And then I see all these guys in these crisp white pinpoint Oxfords. They got their Timmy bag and they're, you know, my deal's not even booting up. And I'm thinking, as soon as I get home, I'm getting me some gear. I mean, it's one of those things that, that we, we, we want to feel like we fit in and we belong. It's what we do. And the only way that humility is going to come is that if we do feel like we belong to something. We do feel like we've been chosen and picked. It's the only way that it will happen. It's the only way that we'll be able to push other people to the forefront without fighting to get to the forefront. And I love it right here in Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, verse 19. Consequently, now remember there's a consequently. So the Apostle Paul saying, you were dead in your sins and trespasses when I came and got you. You had no shot. You were walking away. You were on the outside but then the cross of Jesus Christ happened. Then Jesus came in his humility and died for you. The death, burial, and resurrection has annihilated your sins in Christ Jesus and changed your life. And this is how it has changed. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens. You belong with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Freedom from all the broken attempts of trying to belong. And now humility can find its way into the framework of our lives. When it's taken care of, all of a sudden, it's fine for us to stand back and honor other people and push other people to the forefront. Recognize and realize all of the people that put us in the place that we are, not, not to mention God and giving Him glory because He is the reason that we're alive, that we have talent, that, we, that we're gifted in any particular way, that we have anything that we could possibly have in life. It should make us humble. And confidence in the kingdom of God, how is it portrayed? So different than the world. Confidence in the world is climb the ladder, get as high as you can. But in the kingdom of God, guess, guess what it is? It's to get down low. It's to descend. If you read the rest of Philippians uh, chapter 2, what does it say? Same mind as Christ Jesus who gave everything up, who became nothing to pour his life out on a cross. He came down to planet earth. He was the king of the universe. Comes to earth as nothing. Joseph's boy, a carpenter. People coming in, hey Jesus, can you sand that a little more? It's a little bit rough on the edges. Could you imagine sun, moon, and stars? I put them in place and you're telling me to sand the corner of my table. Became nothing, poured out his life, then became rejected so that we wouldn't become rejected. He became, he became put out by his own friends, by his own people. Walked 
with our sin, not his, to the cross and bled out for you and for me. He descended. But guess what? The end portion of that section in scripture says in Philippians chapter two, it says, and then, then God exalted him to the highest place. Every person on planet earth would, would know his name, would bow at the name of Jesus. You wanna be honored on planet earth? Humility is the road. It seems counterintuitive. It's upside down. People say that often. It's the upside down kingdom of God. That reverberates in and through humanity. Our language changes when we see a picture of the cross. We see that we've been chosen. We see that we've been picked. We see that we belong. We see that we are eternally approved of by the king so that I no longer have to elicit something from you. Now I have something to reverberate out and give to you. Humility will change the church. An insecure church is detrimental for the world. But a confident humility will reverberate the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. No longer I, me, and mine. It's we, us, and ours. It changes things for you and for me. To stand in that place and experience God, to allow his word, to soak in his word, people. There is a voice of the enemy that is speaking over you and it is from the enemy. Just ask yourself that question. My wife's been asking this question. When I say something negative or when I'm downtrodden, because pride is not just, I think I'm awesome. Pride is also self-loathing and self-hate. I hate myself. I don't know, I'm not any good at anything. What does that say about who God is and what he's done in your life? Both of those things are centered on me, whether it's self-hate or whether it's pride and I'm awesome. They're both me, mine. We're a part of a collective now. No longer foreigners and strangers. We are fellow citizens in Jesus Christ's household in which he is the cornerstone. Changes things by the power of his spirit. It is a war that we wage in the world that we live in. It doesn't happen automatically. We don't just read the passage and all of a sudden walk out. We have to wage war. The way that we pray, the way that we treat one another in here, the way that we saturate ourselves in the word of God and see Jesus the way that we sing these songs and center our heart around the name that matters more than anything let's stand God we love you and we love who you are we love what you do for us we love that the gospel is is, we're never over discovering how many gifts you've given us every spiritual blessing that that you give us it keeps coming it's like a torrent it's like a This wave that keeps coming over and over again to change our lives, not just in the future, but in this minute and in this hour to give us freedom from bondage. Just come Holy Spirit.